Welcome to episode 84 of the Orange Shoe Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Slayton. In this podcast, we cover multiple topics in regard to health and fitness. I also bring you guest speakers who are professionals in the industry to bring you insight from their field. In this episode, the Orange Shoe Wanna Key team reviews the book Built to Move by Kelly and Juliet Starrett. Kelly and Juliet are powerhouses when it comes to all things health and fitness. Their book covers 10 simple vital signs that they believe all humans should be incorporating in their daily lives to live life with vitality. But before we hop into this episode, here's a quick message from our sponsor. Is your nutrition preventing you from reaching your goals? Do you enjoy eating healthy, but don't enjoy or have the time for all the prep work? If so, then I highly recommend checking out Lean Feast. Lean Feast is the premier meal prep service in the Madison area. They take out all the guesswork and provide you with quick, healthy meals on your schedule. The best part, you get to choose what goes into your meal and how many you purchase. Let's say you struggle with eating healthy lunches during the work week. Then you could go there, purchase five lunches, and eliminate that struggle. The meals take three minutes to warm up via microwave or stovetop, and then they are ready to eat. Season with your favorite spices to add your own little flair. Gone are the days of running to the drive-thru or skipping meals altogether because you failed to plan. Head over to Lean Feast today and use promo code OSPODCAST for 10% off every order. You will not regret this decision. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Orange Shoe Podcast. We are live at Orange Shoe Wanna Key. We got the whole team here today. Say hello, everybody. And your name. So they know your voice and your name. Sean, hello. Hi, this is Margo. Hi, it's Kelly. <laughs> And we're back. So the last episode we did here at the team, we had Jess. Now Margo's stepping in for Jess. And it was all about, um, the title of the podcast was Everybody Farts. So hopefully this one is just as fun as that last podcast, which is, I think, one of our most listened to episodes ever on the Orange You Podcast. So people must like knowing about farts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here today, we are here to review the book by Kelly Starrett and his wife, Juliet. Um, and it is called Built to Move. So just a quick background on Kelly Starrett. Um, if you guys don't know who Kelly Starrett is, he is, um, in short, just a world-renowned physical therapist that has worked for, with everybody from people in special operations military to um, every league, like professional league when it comes to sports, to you know, uh, entrepreneurs, to... Um, just athletes. CrossFit athletes to and celebrities, to like everyday soccer moms. Yeah, and, and then just everyday um, people um, just throughout his life. So he is one of those people that, like, you know, we know there's a lot of information out there when it comes to health and wellness and stuff. And sometimes you have to like siphon through the bullshit filter when you're online of being like, do I trust this guy or is this guy just trying to sell me something or is this guy telling me not to eat fruit because it'll make me fat because of the sugar? Like you have to siphon through that stuff. And Ju um, Juliet and Car um, Kelly Starrett, they're like two people that. If they say it, you can trust 100% that they actually do know what they're talking about and you can implement what they're saying and you probably will see a positive result from it. So um, we just wanted to help uh, you know, clarify that. And um, if you guys want to you know, take a deeper dive into this book and buy it, you can trust it. And um, you know, it's from a reputable source. So with that, so with Kelly Starrett's book here, Built to Move, he highlights 10 vital signs. And these vital signs are 10 things that everyday people can incorporate it into their lives if they want to live a longer, healthier life. So for like longevity and vitality. And these 10 things are just very simple, basic things that we could do. And you're going to learn all about, we're going to highlight all 10 of them. And you're going to realize that like all 10 of these don't cost money. And there's things that you can do right now as you're listening to this podcast. So um, we're really excited to share these. And this, this book, um, 
I feel like is one of my favorite books when it comes to just health and wellness in general. What do you guys think? It's pretty solid. I feel like it's definitely well-rounded and I, and I just love the title. I feel like the more that I've thought about the title, it's like, that's such a good title because our bodies are built to move. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is what our bodies are meant to do is move through space, move around. And we have these ranges of motion and there's all this stuff online that'll also say like, oh, don't ever do this exercise. But it's like, we should be able to move into these different positions. We are built to move. So yeah, I definitely think it's great and well-rounded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'll say, cause I'm not a big, like if I, I love reading, but I am a fiction girl. I don't, nonfiction isn't something that I typically go for. And so with this book, the one thing that I really liked about it is there are actually tangible things that you can take away with. So every vital sign has um, a physical assessment. And then in, um, in addition to that, it also has um, ways that you can practice and get better at it. So you can actually have tangible things you can take away from this book and be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to put this book down. I'm going to do this um, assessment right now, see where I score. And, um, and then I'm going to look at those physical practices and see how I can get better at that. So um, it really is a, like, it's a how-to and it's something that you can do right away in your daily life. It's not really anything you have to like prep and get ready for, um, which was... I don't know, which is something that I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, and I know Kelly, I was listening to a, a podcast with him on it. And he was talking about, they were talking about the book. And he said the reason they wrote the book was it, they, they realized that like a lot of people that they run into in their neighborhood, like their neighbors, their friends, their friend group, and they're all not maybe as healthy or move their bodies quite as much as Kelly and his wife do, that there were, he wanted to write a book that anybody could pick up. And then if they started implementing these these vital signs into their lives um, can see an, see an impact without necessarily thinking they gotta like jump headfirst into CrossFit, right? Like they would, they love CrossFit. They're that's what they're all about, and they love they love the CrossFit methodology. And so when people would ask him what they do for working out, they say CrossFit, and then people would be like, I just don't really want to do that. And he was like, Well, it, so I wanted to write a book to make sure that you know, I wasn't telling necessarily anybody how they needed to work out or what they needed to do, but I knew that there were things that, simple things that will go a long way. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to go dive into triathlon training or doing something that maybe they don't want to do. And, and, oh God. And I love the idea of like minimum effective dose. And mm -hmm. it's like, sometimes we see things online that are like the maximum effective dose, what you need to do the best, but it's like, most of us are not anywhere need, near needing the most optimal, the best thing. Most of us just need like something small, the smallest thing that we can do, that's still gonna help us out. And like, that's a good place to start. And I love that this is focused on the minimum effective dose. Margo, I was curious because you're our, like our mobility girl. So when you were looking at this book, how did it, how did it stack up for you? Well, first of all, I do have to admit as a non-CrossFit girly, having no CrossFit background, actually kind of the opposite background, I was at first very much like, oh, CrossFit background book. I wonder what this is going to say. And I actually really liked it a lot, especially having, a, I don't know, what am I trying to say? A background myself in recovery. Um, the deep breathing section, fantastic. Same um, with the mobility sections. I would say they're really good and they call a lot of easy attention to things that 
most of us don't really think of, but once the connection is made, it's going to be like, a, oh, this really is not that hard for me to incorporate really quickly and with minimal effort into my daily life because it really doesn't take that long to make a habit and something is better than nothing, which I think this book portrays really well mm -hmm. personally. Awesome. Well, there we go. There's our quick little brief introduction. <laughs> Let's do it. Ten vital signs. Sean, you're up. Vital sign number one. Yeah, so vital sign number one is just getting up and down off the floor. Um, and it's really as simple as that. It's all about your ability to get down to the floor and get back up. And so the test is that you're trying to cross your legs and sit down. Um, without touching anything ideally, but then you can touch stuff if you have to to help you down. Um, you had people do this in group class. Yeah, so I had people do this in <laughs> group class. How many people in class were able to do it? People got their butts kicked. I think I've had maybe two clients who were actually able to do it like 100% without touching anything, one of which is an awesome, beastly pregnant lady, which is awesome. <laughs> Sean, can you explain the tests a little bit like more clear so a listener can like visualize what this looks like? Yeah, so the test is you're standing up tall, probably near a wall or something to give yourself some assistance so you don't bust your butt. Um, but you are going to stack one leg across the other and then you are just going to go from standing all the way down to a seated cross-legged position and then also standing back up from that as well without touching the ground, without using your hands. Um, and yeah, this kicked people's butts. A lot of people were able to make it down in a decently controlled manner, but getting up, people got stuck there. They were just, mm -hmm. their hips were not going to move to let them get back up. Um, and just in general, what he talks about with this vital sign is just the importance of sitting down on the floor and how often we don't do this. And you talk about little kids or when you actually have kids, having experienced that myself, like you're always getting down onto the floor, but then we stop doing that as we get older or as your kids get older or whatever, you just stop getting down onto the floor and then suddenly you realize, wow, I cannot do that anymore or I can't get back up off the floor. Um, even using your hands, that becomes a massive chore. Um, and so I just think that it's a really great practice of, hey, get down onto the floor, watch, watch one episode of your 25 minute show on the floor. Switch up your positions as often as you like. If that's moving your hips around, whatever it is, like that's okay. You don't need to be stuck in one position, but just get down onto the floor. No matter what you're gonna be doing on the floor, it's going to be opening up your hips. It's gonna be stretching out some part of your lower body, like so good for us. And it's just, he pointed out a couple things of just people in other countries, how it is so common. He went to a hotel in Japan and they didn't think that they would be able to give him the regular Japanese hotel room because that doesn't really have any tables. And they were like, oh no, these Americans, they can't get down onto the floor. But meanwhile in Japan, that's what they do for most of their meals is sitting on the floor. So yeah, really good vital sign. Yeah, I, I liked to. He talked about in China, they have 80 to 90% less occurrence of arthritic hip pain than Westerners. Just for the fact that of that, they're sitting more on the floor. They're not in these cushy chairs that they're saying they're ergonomically correct for us. They're still putting us in bad positions. Our hip flexors are still flexed all day long. We're still creating masses of, massive amounts of impingement in our hips. Um, and the fact that, you know, we're sitting for on average, you no, know, I think the goal is to sit what less than six hours. Kelly talks about like less than six is ideal. Yep. How many of us are actually doing a sitting inventory? Like actually like sitting down and like one day track how long you were in the seated position. So breakfast, work, lunch, dinner, two hours of Netflix, add all that up and see where you're at. I think a lot of us are 
going to be really surprised at how often we're sitting and how often we're not standing, um, which is, I think, is, is a huge, huge problem, which then leads right into being, you know, sedentary and weight gain, right? Like we're our caloric burn, right? We're not moving and standing. And there was a chart in the book talking about just going from laying down on your back as zero energy expenditure to just sitting upright. You're burning 6% more energy just sitting upright instead of laying on your back. And then just walking, like was it three miles, I think walking was, or no, walking three miles per hour, you're burning 294% more energy than if you were laying on your back, just walking at three miles per hour. So it's just amazing how just like being in this seated position for so long, you can't reverse it by just going to the gym one hour a day thinking like, oh yeah, I get my one hour workout in, I could sit for 12 hours for work. That's just not going to cut it. No, I was, oh, go ahead, Margo. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we on to the next one? No, we are not on to the next one. I feel like there's still some things to cover here. Don't you no. worry. So this one is directly, um, this is one is directly connected to another vital sign, yeah, which is about the setting. So I was like, we can get into that very soon. But I was yeah. like, as far as this one goes, this one's about, hey, let's take a look at the hip range and um, range of motion that we have. And how do we get better at that? Yeah. So the physical practice of this one is sitting on the floor. Fidgety Can around. we get down on the floor more? And the cool thing about this book is he he actually has like you know, figures that you can look at. So it shows a person in a couple of different variations of sitting on the floor. And um, one of them is just your traditional crisscross applesauce, your cross-legged position. This puts your femur heads into external rotation which is obviously something that they're not typically in when we sit in a chair. Um, The other one is a 90-90 sit. So the 90-90 sit is something that we actually practice a lot in our PT sessions and our small groups. It's putting your your knees into 90 degree angles and bringing, once again, you're practicing internal and external rotation of the hip. Um, He also calls it long sitting. So long sitting is another one where you are simply seated with a nice long spine with your feet straight out in front of you. So you're gonna feel a big hand hamstring stretch with this one. Um, and then the last one is just the one-legged sitting. So that's where you have one um, one knee bent with the foot on the floor, and then you have one leg extended out in that hamstring position. So he's just showing you a lot of different variations that you can be in while you're sitting on the floor that are going to naturally stretch the hamstrings out, put your hips into different ranges of motion. And then, of course, we're all seated on the floor doing this podcast today. Um, we're going to fidget a ton while you're on the floor, which is like huge because it's your body sign of telling you, hey, this is like not very comfortable anymore. Let's try to change it up. So, um, yeah, just a lot of um, cool other little tidbits in that chapter. And then in the chapter two, like Kelly talked about how he didn't he lead like a conference Mm -hmm. and everybody showed up for his talk at the conference. Like, oh, Kelly starts talking. Let's go to his conference. And then he had no chairs and everybody was forced to sit on the ground. And it wasn't like a corporate, it wasn't like at some corporate setting. I can't remember exactly what the setting was, but he goes, but people sat on the ground. He goes, man, so many people, as he was talking, he was just watching everybody fidget and everybody just gets so uncomfortable. And how many people just decided, I'm just going to stand because sitting is just way more uncomfortable than standing. Well, there you have it. Now you're standing, which is awesome. So he goes, it was like a test. And so many people were like, so used to going to these conferences and having these nice little chairs to sit in that everybody was like super uncomfortable. So... Yeah, that's the lesson. I think the big takeaway there is do a, seat, a sitting inventory. I'm interested. Me and Kyle were actually interested in how much. I feel like we're pretty active and stand up a lot, but we're like, I'm sure we're still over that six-hour threshold too. Yeah. I'd be interested to 
do that one day. I know I am, 100%. <laughs> oh, for sure. All right, so that was vital sign number one. Vital sign number two is Margot's. What do we have? We have the breath hold test. That is the second one, which is basically just talking about the importance of being able to breathe and control basically how you're breathing. Um, so yeah, what it covers is um, how long can you hold your breath? And there's a certain way to do it to make sure that you're testing it correctly and not letting any air escape or anything like that. Um, and I guess I'll just go ahead and describe yeah. it so yeah. it makes sense to people. And this is all supposed to be done seated, not immediately after exercise or anything like that. You should be calm, rested, etc. But just sitting there, inhale like you normally would through your nose and then exhale through your nose and then pinch shut. The point after that is to just hold without breathing in for as long as you can until you feel that little twitch of, okay, this is uncomfortable, I really need to breathe. And then just take note of how long that was. So it does kind of give you a scale of where you fall based on your results there. If you are under 10 seconds, then your tolerance is pretty significantly below normal and you should work on it, work on your breathing. If you fall between 20 and 10 seconds, then it's a good start, but you should improve. And then in the 30 to 20 second range, that's close to normal, according to um, the authors here. And then 40 and 30 seconds is the normal range where we should be. That's the ideal, obviously anything beyond being, you know, great, good for you. But it does also break down, okay, well, if I fell below the normal mark, what should I do? How do I improve it? And it just breaks down kind of the obvious. Breathing is such a passive thing for us, but if we put even just a little bit of thought into it sometimes, it is really easy to retrain your body to do what you need it to do. Um, first and foremost, breathing through your mouth kind of communicates to your brain slight, not panic mode, but you're therefore not as relaxed. You're going to be breathing more heavily, quickly, breathing through the nose forces you to kind of slow things down. It is a much more efficient way to get a lot of air in and then be able to better control the exhale. The point of that is something called diaphragmatic breathing. And I hope I didn't just butcher that. Anybody? No? Okay. Yeah, perfect. Great. The G is silent. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Diaphragmatic. Diaphragmatic? Yeah. Dang, I did butcher it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so that word, breathing with your diaphragm, perfect, is something that a lot of us don't do. And I don't know if this is PC to say, but as a woman, I know for sure. I was taught from a very young age, suck it in, sister. Do not, do not breathe through your stomach by any means. And it took me a long time to unlearn that as an adult. So it was really nice to see this get broken down. Um, but basically, it's really important to breathe through your belly, through your diaphragm to try and expand everything because, number one, that'll allow your lungs to fully expand. But two, you need your diaphragm to move to its full potential so that it's circulating, you know, all of those fluids that you've got in your digestive tract. It'll help you with digestion. We do need the 
not free fluids because that's not good, but you know, the bodily fluids. And I'm pretty sure that it did mention spinal fluid being one of these, getting things to move and getting your core kind of that support by bracing slightly will help circulate spinal fluid, which is important for important for spinal health, excuse me. Um, but yeah, it does break down why this is all important functionally as well. I know in the gym we talk about suck and tuck, brace your core. Basically, just like make sure you're keeping things tight and in without holding the breath. So having control over that whole diaphragm area. And yeah, it is all very important. So I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I know, Kelly, you've been doing a lot of breath work as of late. Um, what, what's like some of your biggest takeaways from the, the, the breath work you've been doing? Because I know when I read this chapter and I, I did that breath test and like I think 15, 20 seconds in, I had that holy shit panic. Like I need to take a big gasp in. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I know once I did a breathing exercise with you one night um, before we went to bed and had us do a lot of inhale, exhale, rapid. You start getting really tingly. You, you have a little bit of a freak out moment during it and then you kind of settle in and then you feel amazing and then they have you hold your breath on the exhale. And I was easily able to hold over a minute without no problem at all. Um, and so it just goes to say, like, doing some of these breath drills and these breath works um, can really help us out. But I know it's helped you out in just a lot of other ways, too. So how is you in incorporating more breath work into your daily life? How has that been helpful? Well, I would love to say that when I did this test, I was in the 30 to 40 second range. <laughs> no, I... I was, I, did you guys do this? I was like 16 seconds. Yeah, I flopped. Okay. Bad. I Uh was, yeah, I started panicking at 12, but I was watching the time. I probably shouldn't have done that. That's probably cheating, but you know. Oh no. What about you, Sean? Oh, I came in really cocky. I was like, I can swim underwater, like down and back in a pool. No problem. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I got wrecked by it. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a freaking wake up call doing this test. And I know for a lot of us who like struggle with anxiety, Oh my gosh. Like, and I have like, I'm claustrophobic. So for me, holding my breath immediately feels like the walls are like closing in on me and I get a panic. I get a panic attack. So I was like 16 seconds and I was, oh my gosh, I was done for. So practicing breath work for me has been really helpful. Um, but I can't say it's increased my, my, my capacity here on how, like, because the whole, you know, the chapter is about like, how do we best utilize the CO2? And, um, so obviously how do we get rid of it? Yes. I was like, it's not working. (laughs) I was like, still sucked at this test. Um, but no, um, just breath work in general has, uh, has helped me, it quiets my mind unlike anything else. And so they do, um, breathwork practices have been recommended for people who are kind of like a little bit anxious. And they said, you know, hey, you're gonna get to a point, you're gonna be freaking uncomfortable. And it, I am, like I will get to this, and I've, I've pushed past it, but like I will get physically uncomfortable. Like I just have to like fidget, I don't, oh, I don't like it, but then, I can kind of ease in and there are a million different breathwork practices out there. So you can kind of find one that like you um, really enjoy. But after doing some of these things, you can hold your breath easily for one to two minutes, like really not even thinking about it. And it's just allowing you to, well, you're kind of like you're kind of getting into this like hyperventilating state where you're getting a lot more oxygen into your system. So it's like, you're better able to like hold that breath for longer. And then your, your mind state is also better too. So 
Um, but anyway, it was a really interesting chapter. Um, he also mentioned some really cool, <clears throat> excuse me, mobilizations to do as well. And I think the one thing that Margot does a really good job with is that when we're using the foam roller or the lacrosse ball, or we're in a stretch at the gym, whatever you're doing, you should be able to take full inhales and full exhales in whatever thing that you're doing. So if you can't do that, it's your body's signal of like, hey, it's just too much for us right now. So we have to like dial down the stretch or dial down the pressure on the roller or the lacrosse ball so we can get to a point where we can fully inhale and fully exhale. So that was like a good like refresher and tidbit from that chapter too. Didn't he say in there like if you can't breathe in a position, you don't own that position? Yeah. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I thought that was so good. That was a wake up call for me with breathing was like, Oh, I should be able to breathe through it. Cause again, I love the idea of like your body signals. If your body's getting the signal that this is bad and this is hard and this is like, I'm super stressed. It's not getting the signal that, Hey, this is an okay position for me to be in. It's okay. If I want to be in this position in the future, it gets, Oh no, this is bad. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. I know one thing too, from the chapter it pointed out to me was just like the fact of so many of us are just mouth breathers. We breathe very shallow and we breathe through our mouths and, um, just being more aware of just closing your mouth and breathing through your nose. So like Kelly and I went for a walk and I like told myself going on that walk, I'm not gonna breathe through my mouth unless I'm talking to Kelly or something. So just focusing on keeping my mouth and just breathing really big inhales through my nose and out through my nose and just focusing on just breathing through my nose was, um, you know, that is breathing through your nose is so much healthier for you than breathing through your mouth. Um, and then also, you know, there's, there's been a lot of this on social media now, but like, um, they even talk about in the book, there's like, you know, it's a valid point and it's not just BS, but like, you know, people that have been taping their mouth shuts before they go to sleep, um, you know, to force you to start breathing through your nose because a lot of us, our jaw just opens. And then as soon as our jaw opens, when we relax, we start breathing through our mouth and then that leads to snoring and sleep apnea and we don't sleep as well. And so I know some people have gotten a lot of really good results from taping their mouth shut, um, and sleeping and it cuts down on the snoring and um things like that so it, it's kind of interesting i don't know i feel like i'd get a little weird and I, they say definitely ease into it like maybe do 10 minutes and take it off um i feel like i would have like a freak out moment in the middle of the night that like why the hell is my mouth shut because you forget that you did it and like <laughs> um so i think it um I, i've been interested to try it i haven't tried it yet but um i have yeah. some mouth tape if you need to borrow it i got a big Legit mouth tape? yeah oh, well okay. it's like the medical tape i oh, think okay. that they make like it's called bondage tape, which sounds bad. Yeah. Um, and I saw the one that's called hostage tape. Yeah, oh, hostage tape. Yeah, that's hostage it, that's tape. It, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that's like the reason you freak out because you yeah. think someone broke into your apartment or your house and then make you hostage. As a person who like, is not typically great with nose breathing, though, I do think it's important to like, you're not actively trying to breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. You're not trying to breathe from the nose. I feel like I have to focus on myself like breathing in normally but just with my mouth closed. Otherwise I do get really weird and I feel like I'm like freaking out and not getting enough air. So just a note to people who want to try that. Mm-hmm. All right, vital sign number two. All right, Kel, vital what do we got? Vital sign number three what is we got up next? Um, extend your hips. Ooh. So this is a big one that we have, um, as trainers, we've been incorporating a lot into um, stretches after our PT sessions, stretches after our small groups. I know Sean has been utilizing this almost every group class where he's bringing everybody against the wall and doing the traditional couch stretch. So um, that couch stretch, they have this um, kind of, you 
the great thing is you can they show you a figure and they show you three different options of this couch stretch and ideally what this looks like is you have um a wall or a couch behind you something that can help elevate your back leg um you have your back knee bent on the floor and you have that foot raised up behind you Ideally, that knee would be right up against that, that um, the base of the wall or the base of your couch. And the other leg, I'm going to, you guys, I'm sorry, I'm botching this. It's hard to visualize, but you have the other leg, knee bent, foot on the floor, and you should be able to, in this um, position, actively squeeze your glute and be able to punch that hip forward and hold it for five full inhales and five full exhales. So... That is the test. Um, I would say that the majority of the clients, I was like, majority of our clients have a really hard time with this one. Once again, if we are seated at our job for eight to 10 hours a day, um, the hip is in a closed flexion position. So bringing an extension into the hip, we're going to be super tight there. When we have um, hips that are super tight, this is gonna cause a myriad of issues. So it's going to, typically, it's gonna go downstream and upstream from the hip. Not only are we gonna have tight hips and hip pain, it's gonna wrap around into our glutes and into our low back. We're gonna have um, low low back and lumbar pain. Um, a lot of times I'm seeing this in, in clients, they have really sore knees. Um, they go for a run and they're like, oh my gosh, my knees hurt or my back really hurts because they're not able to fully extend their hips. It causes a ton of issues in the body. And I can speak to this first, um, uh, first uh, person on this one because it has happened to me as well. I used to have really bad knee pain. I thought, oh gosh, it's just genetics. I just have bad knees. Not a thing. Um, I just had really tight hips. Um, so once you start to focus in on this particular stretch in general, it's, it fixes so many things. So his um, physical practice on this one is to obviously do that couch stretch on a daily basis. He actually wants you to work up to three minutes each side. I feel like typically in class, we're holding that. I usually have my clients sit into that 45 seconds to a minute each side. Sean, how, how long are you doing that in class? Uh, I've been building it up to about a minute and a half sometimes. Um, but as Margot pointed out this morning, I have an anti-fan club of the couch stretch <laughs> who comes in and complains about There's the a couch reason stretch for that. Too. Yeah. And yeah, there is a reason for that because it's hard because we're not getting enough mobility there. Yeah. And I can also speak to the fact like um, I was having some back issues a little bit ago and then I started doing the couch stretch. Um, coincided with our corporate habits program so my habit that I was building was sitting under the couch stretch um, each morning and it made it disappear so soon and my back has been feeling awesome since then um, just loosening up the hip flexors so I can really straighten up without that just pulling into the back yeah yeah I, I think the couch stretch is by far one of the greatest stretches um, you could do like if there's one that you can do if you only could do one stretch a day I'd say the couch stretch might be the one that you do because um, it's for most people, they say like the couch stretch is one of the best stretches to, if you're someone who suffer from low back injuries and pain, if for a lot of us, it's due to the anterior side of our body, our quads, our hip flexors, um, psoas, things like that. So you start stretching that stuff out, you're actually going to start to eliminate. And a lot of us, you know, a lot of times we all focus on pain at the site. So we're not thinking, how can the front side of my body be like causing pain in my back, my, you know, but the posterior side of my body. 
Um, and once you start realizing that, like the body functions all together, especially the hips, the hips are got so many muscles and so much connects to it, so much loading. The hips are just so important in so many things that we do that you can't just focus on the site of the pain and think that's the only area that you need to be like massage gunning, stretching, foam rolling. It's, you know, you got to be focusing a little bit of everywhere. And a lot of the times it is because of our eight to 10 hour desk jobs. It is a lot of time the anterior side of the body. Anything else on vital sign three? All right, vital sign number four. Um, here we go. So this one um, is our walk this way vital sign. So just this is by far the most undervalued form of exercise in the entire world, and it's walking. Um, I think this is something that I can't preach enough, and all of us here at Orange Shoe can't preach enough that our clients do. That is, um, you know, a lot of times we get questions of just being like, "Hey guys, like, you know, what can I do at home when I'm not here at Orange Shoe?" And more times than not, I just say, go for a walk. Get eight to 10,000 steps a day. Because um, I know if I say, hey, do this five, 15 minute AMRAP in your living room or hop on your bike and ride 10 miles, the harder it is, the more chances that you're probably not gonna do it. And so if I could program or prescribe something that's so easy that they're just like, oh, I could totally do that, you're gonna do it, which then leads to consistency of moving your body and all that. And walking is just that, just going for a walk, not overthinking it more than that. Every step counts. Uh, we were, I can't remember where we were, Kelly and I were having this conversation where like, you know, just walking inside your house differ, you know, like people get confused, like oh, the steps I take walking to my bathroom, do those count? It's like every step you take is a step. Like there's no, no, there's no difference of whether you're walking on a treadmill outside or in your house, a step is a step. Um, and the test for this one is count your steps. Um, we all have, um, you know, cell phones now that if you obviously carry it with you, it'll track your steps, all the watches, garments, Fitbits, things like that, um, to track your steps. And, you know, they always say like the, the, the number of steps that we're trying to shoot for in a day is, you know, minimum 8,000. Um, and there, and any day that you can get more than 12 is ideal. Um, and that's, that's what you're really shooting for. So I would say if you're getting eight, anywhere between eight to 12,000 steps in a day, you're golden, do that every single day. Um, walking is one of those things, I don't care how sore you are, you never need a rest day from walking. Um, walk into your heart's content. Um, that's going to be, um, there's just so many health benefits to walking. Um, obviously, like the best thing is walking outside, but walking on a treadmill is still very beneficial and important. Um, and then with Kelly's vital sign number three, walking, you are in hip extension. So walking is so great for loosening up the hips and, and preventing and reversing um, all the aches and pains that your body is um, getting into from you know being seated all day. So it's just, with that being said, like you just, you can't, um, I can't express how important it is to just get out and walk. Anything else on that one, guys? I mean, I think that's really, really straightforward. Oh, I was just gonna say, it's incredible how like all of these, Tom just connected it to vital sign three, but it's like all of these vital signs go together. And like yes. when you're walking more, when you're actually expending energy, you're letting your body know, hey, I've gotten enough movement and I need to rest. Mm -hmm. So I had a client who was like, man, I've been having a hard time sleeping. Like, what should I be doing? Is there a supplement? What should I be taking? Um, and it was right before we took a week off from the gym and I said, look, just focus in on getting your 10,000 steps in every day. And she was like, yeah, okay. like. <laughs> I'm going to walk more and then I'm going to sleep better and be less tired after I'm moving more. She was super skeptical, came back in the gym next week. Um, first thing that she said, holy crap, like the steps have been working. I've been averaging 12,000. I've been sleeping wow. so good. Like I've been moving more, but I've been having more energy, like holy cow. So yeah, yep. get, if you want to sleep better, move more, let your body know that it's tired, get your 10,000 steps. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it doesn't have to be like, I think a lot of us tie like high intensity intervals to like, that's how hard I need to work out in order to improve my sleep. And that's, yeah, that's debunked. It's not true. Awesome. Well, now we're on to vital sign number five, Sean. Yeah. So vital sign number five is all about our neck and shoulders. Basically just talked a lot about how tech neck is what he calls it. Um, upper cross, whatever you want to call it. It's basically just this idea that we're all in this position in front of our computers where our hands are out in front of us and our shoulders are scrunched forward and we're looking kind of down at an angle and how that is just jacking up and we are not getting any movement through our neck and shoulders. And again, our, we're built to move. We're built to have them going through different ranges of motion. Um, so the test that he has, there's two of them. One is for more so flexion and then one is more so for rotation. For the flexion one, he calls it the airport scanner test. I love this one. Yeah, because um, he talks about just seeing people go through the body scanner at the airport where they have to raise their hands up overhead and they're like bowed over because they can't actually pull their hands up overhead. Um, and so with this one, you're gonna be lying on your stomach face down you actually want to kind of have your face on the floor and then you can hold a pvc or a broomstick or like a towel on your hands um, but just straight out in front of you overhead um, and you're going to be lifting those up off the floor and trying to hold at least a couple inches up for a good five breaths in and out um, and so this kind of a little bit of stamina test as well as some of the flexion test um, but lots of times it's the case that since we're so tight, we're having to work a lot harder to actually hold into that position. Whereas if we loosened up, it wouldn't be as hard to hold us into that position. Um, I had some clients do this in the gym this morning and I was, I was very happily surprised. Quite a few of them were able to do it pretty well. Um, but I think that definitely the, they were pretty tight in that and so they couldn't quite hold it for as long. It was more coming up for one or two breaths. They had, they could access it, but they couldn't maintain it. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then the second test that they have is for shoulder rotation. And you're lying on your back, your elbows are up off to your side and your hands are kind of facing up towards the ceiling. And then you're gonna bring your hands back and try to press the back of your wrist into the floor and it's kind of a subjective test of like hey how much force can you generate pushing down into the floor with the back of your wrist and again it's the idea that if you're way too tight there then you're going to be limited because you can't actually pull against the muscle hard pull against your tightness hard enough to press into the floor and this one really uh was interesting for clients i don't think anybody was able to do this very well a lot of them were saying that when they did that their low back immediately wanted to lift up to try and compensate and let them have that range of motion um, but the idea here is just that our shoulders move in all these different directions. Um, it's a ball and socket joint, so like it's meant to move in a lot of different directions. It's not a flexion and extension joint. There's a ton that we can do with our shoulders, so we should be moving them through those ranges of motion. And kind of the physical practice that he had with that was just anything that can bring us into a little bit more of like an overhead position, whether that's bringing our hands against the wall and then like pushing our chest down or whether that's really tight and you're just lying on your back and literally kind of trying to let your hands come up overhead, anything that's gonna bring us closer to that overhead position is gonna be so good for us. I think like any sort of chest opener, like laying on a bench and just letting your arms come to a T position and just let gravity pull them down. Um, child's pose is just a good way. Um, any like puppy dog, like you know, yoga, if you do like puppy dog position, um, so there's just a lot of really, any, any way, any way you're getting flexion 
an extension, or more, more so extension through your thoracic spine, which is the upper part of your spine, is going to be a win. And um, a lot of times if we run into these issues where we can't do this, that's when we're running into the rotator cuff injuries. We're running into frozen shoulder. Um, I have seen more frozen shoulder and rotator cuff. I mean, I feel like every um, person that we have come through the gym through for a consultation has something with their shoulders. My right, I've had right, right, right rotator cuff surgery. My left one might need it. Um, or I'm currently dealing with frozen shoulder in my right. My left has, um, my left has recovered from it. Um, and it's, it's no secret that the reason this is happening is because we're, we're, you know, we're, we're rounded. We're at our desk. We're at our cell phones. We're at our computers. Um, we're in this kind of like forward hump rounded position. Um, and I think, you know, a good, uh, you had brought this up, Sean, in the beginning. It was like that cross syndrome, double cross. Like, I would love for either Sean or somebody else to talk about what that is. Um, Let's get Margo. She's too quiet. Oh, sorry. Are you talking about tech neck right now? Because I could go off for a solid hour on this. I talk, I, and that's exactly what I, I call it, I saw a scary image online of they're saying, like, what humans will look like if we keep going in the direction we oh, are right now. we're reverting. We'll we're look reverting. like aliens. Like, they're saying we're going to be completely, like, bent over at 90 degrees. At, like, our pretty much our, like, our upper back. And then our heads will jet out really far forward. So we'll have, like, super long necks. And then from our neck, our head will be lifted up. And it's just, like, super weird that looking. That sounds like a troll did I was going to say, it sounds super super attractive <laughs> it, oh it is it is so bad it is like holy shit you look like some sort of like yeah it is really bad um that's the direction we're going to and i see it in like kids now like i see people that are 15 16 years old that are dealing with some of the worst the necks and upper backs or you just stand in the grocery store line and see people waiting in line looking at their cell phones and how hunched over and their necks are sagging down it's just it's, it's the age of technology. It's, yeah. it's literally an epidemic, seriously, especially like you were saying with the young kids, because they've been looking at tablets since they were two, yeah. right? I mean, and they do that all day, every day. I mean, schools, they're on laptops, tablets, whatever else, and then they come home, what's their homework on? Tablet. I mean, kids are in sports and whatever else, but like we were saying earlier, that's what, two hours of their day throughout the week, and then the rest is just... Number one, and this is nothing to do necessarily with this, but blue light, a whole other topic of conversation with, you know, like ADHD occurrence and all that fun stuff. But yeah, just the postural effects, it's insane. When I was working my stretch job, it was, like you said earlier, the couch stretch. If there was no other stretch that you wanted to do, do that one for me any chest opener, like the door frame stretch, or just laying on your back with your arms open in a T, just because that seems to be such the hot spot mm-hmm. for um, getting that shift in your spine and your neck, and then it slides down the rest of your back, and it's just, it's a nightmare. Hate mm-hmm. it. Yeah, we're saying like that cross syndrome. The cross syndrome just kind of references like your weak anterior, anteriorly, and like, or your weak posteriorly and strong anterior, anteriorly. So like a lot of us like push-ups, bench press, we all like to do that type of stuff. So you get really strong on the front side of your body, but then you're never doing rows or any sort of like small upper back strengthening exercises. So we get, so everything starts to get pulled forward. And then we could also see this happening with our hips where because we're seated all day, we get really, really tight in our hip flexors. And then because of that, that's on the anterior side of our body, we get really weak in our glutes and our low back. So like making sure that we're staying even where the muscles are strong on the anterior and posterior side of the body, not only strong, but they're actually, they're able, they're mobile and, and things like that. So 
All right, now we're moving on to, what is it, Vital Pie number six? Six, Margo. Six, that one is all about nutrition, essentially, and it is the 800 gram challenge, which Why basically- Why did I get that one? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know, that's what, when I got this one, I was like, I'm surprised I have this one. No, so, I love that Margo has this one, because I was like, if it was, I was like, Sean is like my ultimate nutrition guy, but I was like, it's kind of fun to hear from people who have, like, nutrition isn't their, like, they're super super passion like i was like you're my mobility girl i was but i'm like it's good to hear from someone who's like yeah got it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so basically the chapter it talks about eat like you're going to live forever so how i took the title of that is you know you reap what you sow you are what you eat um and i think it literally says that in the chapter itself but um, basically it just describes food being fuel. It's of course, you don't have to torture yourself and eat just the most bland thing you can think of every day of the week, but it does take into account like, yes, you shouldn't be eating only or just copious amounts of processed food. That is not what we're built on. Um, and it's not what is going to sustain us to feel our best. Um, and yeah, so as I'm sure we've all heard a million times over, processed food is just going to promote a lot of inflammation in your body, which is not good. And inflammation is basically, or is the precursor to basically everything, any and every disease. Um, it starts with inflammation in one way or another. So minimizing that in any way you can is fantastic. Um, and I really did love this quote, and I'm going to use this myself moving forward, but there's a quote in the book that says, just because you can burn any fuel doesn't mean you should. And it's describing trying to light a campfire that you're going to cook over with gasoline, and it goes up in thick black smoke. No, you're not going to cook over that. Yes, it lit the fire. You could, but that's disgusting. No, we're not going to do that. So I just really loved that. Like, damn, that one that one hit for me. I like it. Um, so the next time I go to eat a whole pint of Ben & Jerry's, I'll be like, Margo, maybe not. Um, anyway... And going right into that, it also touches on calorie control. So I'll get into what the 800 gram challenge actually is in a second. But the big overarching thing with this is calories in versus calories out. That's how you're going to get weight loss if that's a goal for you. Um, but in general, making sure that you try to strive for what this challenge wants you to do is going to naturally help reduce calories whether you need that or not and then that comes back to the rule if you're hungry eat if you're not don't um but the 800 gram challenge is basically talking about we want to get our micronutrients from whole foods as much as we possibly can micronutrients are the basis for all of the functions of the body and hormones being a huge controller there Micronutrients support your hormones. If your hormones are supported, they're gonna be happy, functioning, and you're gonna feel good. If your hormones have no backup support, then you're gonna feel that, you're gonna see that. So trying to eat 800 grams in weight, so in this you would need a food scale to kind of have a general idea. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, eating 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. Now, as for me personally, 
when I think about what 800 grams is, I'm like, oh my, that's that's a tall order because I don't know if you guys have held fruits and vegetables lately, but they're not that heavy. And 800 grams is kind of heavy. So <laughs> to do that the most efficiently for myself, smoothies are my go-to. That mentions that in here, as well as soups, those two things. I, I'm a fiend for soups. I will eat any vegetable in any soup ever. So <laughs> salads are fantastic, but they're just there's good variants to go with it. But the challenge basically is to make you feel better, eat a little bit less of the processed stuff because you'll be full from all this volume and you're gonna be less likely to go to it. So yeah, I like the challenge. I really like the Frappuccino test that he highlights in this one. Yeah. And it, the whole idea with the Frappuccino test is understanding like how your body responds, like how sensitive your stomach is. And like, cause he was pretty much getting at like our stomachs need to be able to like, you, you, your body needs to be able to like handle things properly, like, and not be so sensitive. So like, I don't know there's some of us that like can eat something like, oh, I could eat a Big Mac, but then I have diarrhea in like two hours. Like that your body shouldn't be reacting that harshly to something. It should have the resilience to um, like not make you go diarrhea in two hours. And so the Frappuccino test is like, go to um, Starbucks and you order like this massive ass Frappuccino with a ton of sugar and all this crap in it. And then you drink it. And then they want you to just kind of check in how you feel every hour for the next four hours and seeing like how your body responded to that. And um, there was a, I think it was like some surfer had said, like, imagine if like talking about gut resiliency, like imagine if like, the only thing on earth uh, to eat was like, was Big Macs. Like you would hope that your body could withstand eating a Big Mac because that's all you have to live off the rest of your life. If you just had diarrhea all the time and you couldn't, your body couldn't, you know, handle that, it would, you would be in a bad situation. So I think the, the Frappuccino test just sounds fun because I like, I like Frappuccinos, but I know I'd be all wired and probably feel like garbage. If I can chime in real quick, um, I really do love the 800 gram challenge and that comes from a lady, E.C. Sinkowski, who's super awesome and like her whole thing is simplifying nutrition and instead of getting into the weeds of organic versus non-organic and like all these tiny little things, it's like, hey, let's look at the big picture stuff that is going to move the needle the most. And like Margo said, put 800 grams of fruits and vegetables on a, on a plate and it is a lot. And that's the whole point is that like, we can eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and probably you can try to eat yourself sick on them for most people and you will not be able to eat enough to gain weight if if that's really what you're doing don't actually try that but like for real most of us can eat so much more of those and for not nearly the calories as the processed foods and so we don't have to feel deprived we don't have to feel like oh my gosh i wish i could have something sweet because i'm on the keto diet because you can have apples and bananas and mangoes and all that good stuff I won't rant for any longer. And I know one of the things that, like, Sean, you always like to talk about the 800-gram challenge is that so many diets that we do is uh, elimination. You have to eliminate all the good things that you love in your life. Well, this diet, the 800-gram, is all about adding. We're not eliminating anything. We're just saying you have to get 800 grams, and then if you still want to eat your ice cream, eat it, but you're probably not going to be hungry for it. So it's, I love that it's, an, it's a diet that takes – it's a different spin on it. We're going to add as many in. And now, Sean, you we ran a challenge at the gym. It was kind of 800-gram challenge, and you did such a great job of taking photos of, like, this is – this right here, this picture of this plate, I diced up an apple, I have this and this and this. And it's like, this is like 250 grams. And you look at it, you're like, wow, that is a lot of food. That's only 250 grams. I still have to eat two more plates of that. So it was like really cool on how much food you can eat, but then like get creative. And this time of year in the summer is the greatest time to do it because you get so much produce and like you can get really creative with that. 
Another part of this chapter is not only the 800 gram challenge, but it's also focusing on protein. So he kind of like breaks nutrition down. Hey, there's two things we need to focus on. It's the 800 gram challenge and it's also getting in enough protein. And so it's, it's taking a look at first, we need to know where are we at with protein per day? Let's take an inventory. Um, and if you don't know how much protein you need, here it is. We've got at least 0.7 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So Sean, I'm going to have you speak a little bit on that because you are so concise with it. Um, but I know for me, even though I put an emphasis on getting protein in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I still have to supplement. I'm still not close to where I need to be. And I know for the majority of our clients, that's the case as well. And, um, I also, because the majority of our clients are females, um, protein is absolutely essential for, for putting on and keeping your lean mass, which is huge because as we get older, not only like that metabolism is going to slow down a bit, but more often than not, we're going to lose our lean mass. So Sean, if you have any quick little tidbits about that. I think they said in their 30s. Sorry, this is not Sean. He yeah. did not have a voice change. <laughs> I think they said in your 30s is where it's like, okay, that's where you should start at the very least taking it kind of seriously. Like mm -hmm. Focus on your protein. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I think the big thing with protein is that people get this image of like bodybuilders and getting huge. And that is so not what it is about. It's like you're your goals are not actually to lose weight because um, you could just start cutting off limbs if all you want to do is be lighter on the scale. Like you want to look better in your clothes. You want to feel better. You want to feel stronger. And all of that is going to be a result of having more muscle and less fat. And like your body is built to say, hey, I'm not getting enough energy. Let's see if I can't eat away at my muscles. And by getting enough protein, you're keeping your muscles around so that way you can preferentially lose fat and actually get to all the goals that you say that you want with your diet, with your weight loss, with whatever it is. So. And then I think a lot of times people, protein is just tied to like muscle and figure and the way we look. Protein is so important for so many other processes in the human body. It's a macronutrient for a reason. It's just not the muscle macronutrient. It's the macronutrient for so many things going on inside your body that if you just eliminate it or you're just not getting enough of it, your body is definitely not functioning at its highest capabilities. So don't think that just adding more protein or if you're drinking a protein powder because you need to supplement it, you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or you're going to just like be jacked like that. If that was the case, everybody would be walking around just being shredded if protein did that for people. So um, I guarantee you that everybody listening to this in this episode, you know, you're not getting enough protein. Eat more protein. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, you're next. Vital sign number seven. seven. Super easy one. Straight to the point. It is squat. So Ooh, the physical test for this one is to find your feet about shoulder width apart, if you can, toes pointed forward, um, send your hips back and try to sink down into a nice deep squat while keeping your heels grounded into the floor. Um, and ideally hips obviously should be below your knees and that's it. And see if you can hang out down there for at least five inhales and exhales. So that's the test. Um, I would say we do this a little bit from our warm-ups. It's really hard for most um, for most people to kind of keep those heels grounded into the floor. Um, the great thing about this one is it shows you a lot of different end ranges of motion for several joints. So um, 
you're putting your uh, you're putting your femurs into external rotation. So your uh, your heads of your femurs into external rotation. Um, you're putting your hips into full flexion. You're putting your knees into full flexion, and you're also putting your um, putting your ankles into flexion as well. So it tells you a lot about what's going on with your joints and can you reach those end ranges of motion. Um, his physical practice is simply hanging out in a deep squat. Um, the one thing that is helpful to do this, sometimes I'll bring um, clients over to the rig so they have something to hold onto that helps them keep their chest back or up and then helps them keep their heels grounded into the floor. This is a really wonderful thing to do if you do have squats in your workout for that day. Um, but just in general, if we lose our ability to get down into a squat, um, we start to lose our ability to, I mean, live independently. So um, that was vital sign number seven. Anyone else have anything to say about that one? I remember when I was um, in Iraq and everybody, like when we would have, we would meet with the locals, everybody in Iraq, they, they swap. They, if they want to like have a conversation with each other, they just like drop down in a squat on the side of the road and just have a conversation. Everybody was in the squatted position and they could sit in the squatted position. Like we see babies that are like one years old, two years old that just like plop into a squat and play with their toys. And it just looks beautiful. Knees are tracking out over the toes, weights in the heels. Like we have, we all have the ability to do it. We just lose it. Um, if we don't, you know, just like everything in life, you use it if you don't use it. Um, did I just say use and use twice? You lose it if you don't use it. <laughs> you use it if you don't use it. <laughs> um, so it was just like, and then I was like, you would never see that in America. I was just blown away. Like you just, you'd go to America, you never see people just like hanging out in their backyard, having like some beers with their friends, like all sitting in a beautiful squat position. I would probably faint if I walked somewhere and saw that. I'd just be like, where am I? Like th if this is actually happening, squat, Sean's sitting right in a beautiful squat position right now. Well, there are um, several Asian countries that that's how they wait for the bus stop too. Like they don't stand at the bus stop. They sit on the edge of the curb in a squat, like a yep. really deep squat like that. Not in a derogatory way, I'm pretty sure that's called, and people call it the Asian squat for it a is. reason, yeah? Right. Nice, <laughs> I cannot do it, so I'm just <laughs> baffled, but yeah. yeah. We're all just like so comfy. We're all, everything we do in life in America is like so, everything's based around comfort and how can I be the most comfortable position ever and I have the, the, the chair with the most comfort and I have the, the sofa that can move in all these weird directions and it also has a cooler with beer stacked in it. Like everything's around comfort and then we all wonder why we're all like debilitated, sore all the time and things ache. All right, on to the next one, vital sign number eight. And this one's all about finding your balance. Um, I totally see this, and this goes back to what I just said about if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and balance is definitely one of those things that we have to be practicing um, all the time. Otherwise, yeah, you're not going to be good at it. It should be no surprise. Um, and then a lot of what we do at the gym, our dynamic, I love our dynamic flex warm-up that we do with everybody because a lot of it is like coordination and balance focused. And that's like one of the quickest results we could see in the gym is two, three weeks after somebody has joined, they're now able to flow through that dynamic warm-up so much easier. Their coordination's gotten better, their agility's gotten better, and their balance has gotten better. Um, but yeah, balance is so important. Um, and a lot of us, as we age, um, really have a hard time 
uh, with balance. And one of the things, um, an interesting stat was according to the CDC, every second of every day an older adult falls. That's about 36 million falls a year, and it's the leading cause of injury and injury-related deaths in older people. That's just mind-blowing, you know? And it's just the simple act of just being, um, you know, having balance. And balance is not just simply practicing balance. It has to do with a lot of strength as well. Like, you, we suffer at balance because now we don't have the musculature to support our knees and our hips and our ankles. Um, our core, we lose our core strength because we're seated all the time. We lose, our, we lose our glute strength because we're seated all the time. So a lot of what we do for balance has to do with a lot of strength, and that's the importance of just strength training as we get older. So a lot of times we all know, we've probably seen in our grandparents or someone that we know that that's getting into their 70s and 80s where just walking from their chair, you're wondering, seeing them walk, like, are they going to fall? If they fall, are they going to get up? And then we all know that you see them stand up out of the chair. They don't just use their legs to stand. They have to put their hands on the sides of the chair and then use their arms to push back up because they're lacking all the glute and leg strength to just stand up, which is highly affecting their balance. Um, so a couple of the tests they have where you guys can kind of check your balance is one is called the stand on one leg eyes closed test. Um, and this one is pretty simple. You're just standing upright and all you do is close your eyes and then make sure you're standing next to like a wall or a railing, something that if you do feel like you're going to lose your balance, you can grab onto. And then all you're going to do is just lift one of your um, legs up off the ground or one of your feet off the ground just by bending your knee at 90 degrees. So your heel will be behind you. So you're just bending your knee and holding it um, and just seeing that if you can stand there and, um, and balance and do you have to put your toe down on the ground a couple times? Do you have to put it down more? More than three times um, is a good way to kind of see um, where you're at when it comes to your balance. Um, and for a lot of us, this is going to be really hard because your your vision does play a huge role. Um, and the reason why you close your eyes in this test is to eliminate the vision and helping and really relying on your your musculature and your your feet, your ankles, things like that to see can you respond to your body swaying in different directions and whatnot. So standing on one leg eyes closed is a great way to do it. And I always like tell people um, at the gym, it's like brush your teeth when you're uh, standing on one foot. It's a great way to add a little bit of balance work in your day and just alternate as you're brushing your teeth. Um, how, another one. How oh, long ahead, are you supposed to hold that? Like, um, what is it, Cal? I don't know. It is it 20 seconds? Yeah, 20 so seconds. You can okay. hold that foot up for 20 seconds without falling over on each side. You're golden. Yeah, you, it's, it's crazy to think that like in 20 seconds, how many times you could fall in 20 seconds just doing that you know you feel like 20 seconds would go by so fast and then the next test they have in this is actually <laughs> this one's way more difficult it's called the old man balance test and what this is is you pretty much have your socks and your shoes on the ground in front of you you're standing up and you have to pretty much go into what a lot of you may know is like a single leg rdl where you stand on one leg and you go down you bend at your waist as your back leg swings up behind you and you pick up one of your socks. Once you pick up one of your socks, you still don't touch your left foot to the ground and you put the sock on your left foot. After you put the sock on your left foot, you now swing that left leg back behind you, go into what the, that single leg RDL position again, pick up your shoe, stand all the way back up, still not putting your left foot on the ground, put your shoe on, tie it, and then put your foot down and then do it on the right side. I think I could do that one. <laughs> I do actually, probably falsely, but I think I could do that one. I, I, that's how I put my socks on. I don't put my shoes on like that, but that's how I put my socks on. And it's so much easier and it's solely just the mobilization in my hip. So my left leg, um, I'm way more mobile. So if I sit down in a chair, I'm like a person, if I'm gonna put my ankle on my knee and cross my legs, I usually put my left on top of my right. 
and then my right on my left feels really uncomfortable because my right hip's so much tighter. So I could get my left sock on really easily. My right one, if I'm standing on one foot, is way more challenging for me. So that's kind of like a fun test that you guys can do at home with your family. I think it'd be kind of like a fun family test. Have everyone do it, it'd be kind of funny. But as we all know, that's pretty straightforward with the balance. It's just like working on your balance is going to be um, just like really important um, as we age. Uh, we all, it's kind of one of those things you take for granted as you're younger. Um, and then it, we get to a point in our lives where it's just too late to make any more change. And now we're feeling like we're really behind the eight ball when it comes to our balance. Um, and balance just like, you know, there's so much that goes into it. The bottom of your feet, your ankles, your knees all play a massive role. And um, mobilizing your arches, strengthening your feet. They talk about, you know, putting toe spacers in. Um, a lot of our shoes are smashing our toes together. And if our feet are narrower, it's a lot harder to balance on something is, that's narrow compared to something that can splay open and kind of grip the floor. Um, so, you know, being barefoot as much as possible, walking barefoot, strengthening the bottom of your feet. Um, a lot of people deal with plantar fasciitis. And a lot of times we're dealing with that just because of the shoes we're wearing. And then we have really weak feet. We're not walking barefoot. We're never strengthening the plantar. We're not strengthening the muscles in our feet. There's so many joints and bones in our feet. So it's getting, a lot of times, the pain that we're experiencing when it comes to our feet and our ankles is not necessarily pain because of um, an injury or something. It's just that we're really weak. We're really weak in our feet, and, um, and it's due to just not, we're never like really thinking about going to the gym and strengthening the bottom of your feet. So um, paying attention more to your feet and your ankles, mobilizing them, stretching them, and strengthening them will um, go a long way with your balance as well. Anything more there, guys? All right, on to the last two. Vital sign number nine, Sean. So vital sign number nine is creating a movement-rich environment, which is just all about creating an environment, creating your world, your schedule, whatever, to help you to move more often. And he talks about um, doing a sitting inventory, which basically having a running stopwatch every time you're seated, you, you're, that's counting the time there. And the goal, which I thought was pretty wild, is to be seated for less than six hours, which is like, dang, that's, that's a tall order. I think Kelly said it earlier on um, that like, all of us trainers are pretty active. We're in the gym, we're moving around, like no one consi would consider us inactive, yet I'm pretty sure that we all are failing that test, or, not, or at least not passing it. Um, and again, I just think about how everything like flows together. And it's like, if you're getting your 10,000 steps, at least you know that that's probably an hour less that you're, that you're sitting for each day. And if you're doing these other things, again, it's all just gonna have you moving more often. And just, this all just kind of flows into each other and it just causes a ripple effect of everything else. Um, but yeah, basically just kind of designing your workspace to let you stand more, maybe getting a working desk or a standing desk and just making those little adjustments to your life that have you standing more than sitting and walking more than standing as possible so yeah. yeah i love the title movement rich environment i just i love that i know a lot of people kind of get those walking pads or not a lot of people but there are a thing that it's like a treadmill without the arms mm -hmm. that you can kind of butt up to your desk so as you're on a zoom call or on a meeting that you're necessarily not going to be partaking in you could just like throw your headphones in and just like walk at two and a half miles an hour three miles an hour and get your steps in while you're in your office for work um, so I know those have become a little bit more popular. I think a big thing with this one is um, the, like, our environment is everything. Um, we've talked a lot about with James Clear, Atomic Habit Habits, forming, yeah. with habit forming, but 
setting up your environment for success is huge and living in America and most of us being in, um, you know, a lot of our clients are in the tech realm and they're working from home. Um, it's an uphill battle. Like I, I remember reading this chapter and I was like, I'm lucky enough to have a job that forces me to be on my feet. This would be this reading this chapter would feel so overwhelming if I, if I was working from home, because I'd be like, well, I'm working, I've got an eight hour day. Um, so he does mention as much as possible, you know, um, you're getting, you're getting up and you're taking, you're taking a five to 10 minute walk every 30 minutes. You know, you, you have a stand up workstation that, um, you know, you're, you're hopefully standing for at least half of the day. Um, it's, but man, it's, it has to be intentional. It is, I mean, even for me, like reading this chapter, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've already been sitting, you know, it's, you know, noon and I've probably been sitting for at least four hours already, you know, like it's like, you know, sitting for less than six, that's so tough. So, uh, yeah, I've got a ways to go too. And I've got a job that forces me to be on my feet. So this is a tough one. Mm-hmm. All right, last one, last but not least. Here we go, Margo, knock it out of the park. Vital sign number 10. I actually did not know that I was going to be talking about this one, but I just happened to pull my stretch people yesterday on this. Atrocious. So the last one is on (laughs) sleep, and I didn't do well this week either, and I can tell you right now I can feel it. But, um, yeah, it's all about making sure you get enough sleep because sleep is where all of the things happen. It's where our brain gets a break and it sorts things out from the day, it keeps the important, gets out with the old, all, all things recovery, may they be emotional, mental, or physical, typically happen in our sleep. And I, let me look at this. I don't remember what shocking percent. Yeah, 35% of people sleep less than seven hours a night at least 35 percent of everybody and for me i thought everywhere. that was low i thought you i thought that was, was gonna low? be way more than i was gonna say i figured that was gonna be 60 to 70 oh, percent of yeah. people yeah. like i was surprised that was only 35 percent i yeah. forever i still think that's low i don't know really you think so i just thinking about the entire because it says the population not like the population of the u.s it just says 35 percent of the population sleep less than seven hours a night. Well, you have retired people in there, which, you know, they're probably not going to have to be awake as long, can prioritize sleep. You have younger kids, but I mean, shoot, 35% is just, how many people are on the planet? A lot. That's a lot of people that are not getting enough sleep. And like you said, that probably is an undershot. It's still just absolutely jarring to me. Um, I have always been somebody that has prioritized sleep, or at least I I like to think so. Seven hours is, I know I'm probably not going to feel great the next day. Nine is ideal for me, personally. I'm like a nine to nine. Yeah, yeah, nine to ten. Nine to ten is Mm -hmm. ideal, and I feel really refreshed. Mm -hmm. It's hard, um, but I, at the very least, make sure to get seven. And if I don't, I'm making up for it the next day because Mm -hmm. sleeping is like a bank, and you can become in debt. But anyway... um, Yeah, so basically this test is taking a look actually at roughly how much sleep you're getting per night. And that is not getting into bed at 8 and, oh, I fell asleep at 11 when my sleep timer shut off on my TV. No, it is 
eyes shut to eyes awake time. Um, and in this test, that does actually include if you are somebody that wakes up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or whatever the case is, you do have to subtract that amount out. Um, and knowing how sleep cycles work, I almost wish they would say to take more than that, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Um, but yeah, so take an average of three days of your week and they do not have to be consecutive. It is preferred. They say to take one of your weekend days. So Friday or Saturday, um, but take three days, however much time you spent to sleep, find the average. And if it is less than seven hours, there needs to be improvement. Um, and yeah, like Tom was saying, it's probably going to be a lot more of us than we like to think like yeah i must get seven hours on average maybe and probably not um but yeah i think what else is there really to say about this there was something else that really caught um my attention on this section kelly what am i missing what well, yeah I, like for me i like to say like sleep is by far the most important thing we can do so like before your nutrition before you start exercising and doing movement i feel like if your sleep is you know you're below that seven six and a half five hours of sleep you got to start there like i don't you could go and think that you could pound yourself in the gym and that's going to make up for it like it's just not it's just not going to not going to benefit you and i know there's a lot of us that are listening to this that are parents and you're not like sean's in this right now like when you have a newborn and, and an infant like you're not going to get the best sleep but like there are things that you could do throughout your day that can help and that's like taking a nap and you know doing even that's 30 minutes or an hour you know trying to make up for that sleep that you're not getting at night is going to be really really important um and just listening to your body i feel like so many of us fight sleep like we're like oh yeah i sat on the couch to start watching some netflix and i was just head bobbing and i looked at the clock and i was like oh it's only 7 30 i can't go to bed yet and then you fight it listen to your body if you're watching tv at 7 7 30 at night and you're bobbing you can't stay awake just walk upstairs don't fight it and go to sleep your body's trying to tell you like i would much rather sleep right now than watch netflix and um, the more i've learned about sleep and had people on the podcast sleep experts and stuff it's just really opened my eyes to just how important it is and um, you kind of talk about adhd earlier and, and stuff like that and uh, the, you know a lot of the a lot of our kids get labeled as they have adhd or add and the symptoms for ADD and ADHD are very similar to those that um, the same symptoms of somebody who's lacking sleep, that's just not getting enough sleep. So a lot of times kids, our kids are getting put on drugs and say, oh yeah, they're just ADD or they have ADHD, that's why they're lashing out or they're not paying attention in school, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of the times it's because the kids are not sleeping enough. Our kids need to be like adults or like seven to eight hours of sleep. Our kids need to be nine to 10, like if, every single night. And a lot of the kids are now just overscheduled that they, they can't start hockey practice until nine o'clock because there's not enough rinks open in the community. So they got to drive to Baraboo to hockey practice. And, and then they got to wake up the next day and they got to come home and do homework and they got to get out to school at six o'clock in the morning. Our kids are overscheduled. They're not sleeping enough. And, um, and because of that, you know, they're, it's, they, they feel it and they suffer in other areas. And then a lot of times they're not eating good breakfast or shoving a toaster strudel, a bunch of sugar down their throat and saying, get to school. And now they're not nourished and that's why they're falling asleep in class and whatnot. I'd love to hear. So, um, I used to be a, the AM, the AM trainer and I've since switched over to PMs recently, but I, um, definitely have a sleep routine that I still follow. Um, but Sean and Margot, I know you guys are up around that four to four thirty hour. Um, tell me a little bit about how you guys like to prioritize and prepare for a good night's rest. 
Hit it, Margo. I have to, and this is in here as well, I'm pretty sure. Bedtime routine, I have to have that. Um, if I do not get to put on some dumb YouTube video that I'm probably not even actually going to watch, it just sounds like somebody's talking to me, <laughs> I will brush my teeth, I will wash my face, and make my bed again because I have three dogs and they ruin it throughout the day. <laughs> but I, I don't know why, it just feels good like everything is in order there's nothing stuck in my mind still like oh I still have to do this or I still have to do that it's just a moment of I know everything's done I just get to shut down for the day like how was today how am I feeling am I really ready for bed am I feeling kind of wired like I had caffeine a little bit too late and you know it's just a moment to check in and make sure that I give myself a good moment to set up for the next day because I don't care how long I've been a morning trainer at 4 a.m. is 4 a.m. is 4 a.m. It's terrible every single time, but if you're <laughs> ready for it mentally and you've got all your ducks in a row the night before, then it's like you only have two minutes of dreading the 4 a.m. wake up when you do it versus 10 of panicked tiredness, which feels terrible. <laughs> I feel like the biggest thing is just really defending your bedtime. Oh, and for sure. Not letting, not, and knowing that, okay, if I'm going to bed at eight, that means that I'm not getting home at eight. That means I'm getting home at six and I'm going to make my plans so I can be home at six because I know that I want to be to bed at eight. And I feel like it's just really defending that and having that, like, not allowing plans to happen around that. Mm -hmm. um, and something else I was gonna say, I just love that he pointed out in the book that there's this idea that so many people are like, well, yeah, I know that they say like seven to nine hours is best, but actually I find that I sleep pretty well on six and we think that we're doing fine off of this. And he pointed out in there a statistic and it's like 1%. less than 1%, yeah. not even 1%. And I don't think it's actually 1%. I think it's 0.0001%, whatever. <laughs> um, and so it's like, chances are, that's not you, you need to sleep. But I had listened to something a couple weeks ago and it was just talking about how actually, after about a week, they were sleep depriving people and after about a week, the people stopped rating themselves as experiencing the symptoms of brain fog, whatever it was, all those symptoms of not sleeping enough. But when they d took different uh, mental acuity tests, they were still having those same poor results. So you might think, oh, I'm functioning fine. That's just because you're so sleep deprived that you don't even know that you're sleep deprived anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's just become your new normal for functioning. And it's like, no, you do need to sleep. You are not part of the elite 1% that is a non-sleeper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Adrenaline is a crazy drug. Mm -hmm. So is caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> and I know- So um, is cocaine. And we've all heard that, yeah, cocaine. <laughs> I know a lot of us have heard about the kind of statistic now where like you know they they did a study they took a bunch of college students and they sleep deprived them tested their blood and then they're all pre-diabetic like just you know their blood levels after just i think it was like four nights of just bad sleep i think it was like less than six hours or less than five hours they their blood levels were that of somebody who was pre-diabetic so sleeping's not just you know important just for how you feel the next day and being a functioning human being and being a, a great parent and a husband and a wife and a friend it's more so just like it deals a lot with your bodily functions and your blood and so much like it, it's just so important like there's a reason why and then talk about like you know sh shift work those that like work through the night is like 
they label like shift work as like a level two carcinogen. That's how bad shift work is. So like being a third shift police officer, being a hospital worker, like, and you got to try to find a way to sleep throughout the day when your body wants to be awake with circadian rhythms. Like there's so much like sleep is such uh, it's so important and our bodies are just, we're so tied to the sun and the moon. And like, it's just so important to sleep when it's dark out, be awake when it's light out and like move our bodies throughout the day. Like you just can't. And I, I just know so many yeah, so many people say, like, I know I was talking to the, the sleep expert we had on the podcast, and he was saying, for a lot of us, we have, the reason we don't sleep along, like, uh, we don't sleep well, or we don't sleep eight hours or whatever, is because it's a mental thing. We gotten so used to being like, oh, I just sleep five, and there's nothing I could do, I can't sleep any longer. Well, that's a story you're telling yourself, and then your body responds to that story, so then, of course, you wake up after five hours. Oh, I just can't, I, I just can't, I just can't sleep longer, right? I just never been able to sleep longer. You can, your body wants to, it's just you're preventing yourself from doing it. So it's just like opening yourself up to understand that you can sleep longer, and he says one of the ways that you could do this is, yeah, you wake up and say you always wake up at 4 a.m., you do not get out of your bed until seven, though. So you just lay there, you lay there, you focus on breathing, you, fo you do find a meditation. He goes, I guarantee you, I have he goes, I've never met any person in my entire life who can meditate for three hours and not fall asleep. So if you have to lay in bed from four to seven because seven o'clock is that eight hours that you could finally get up now, you're better off still laying in bed. Even though you're not sleeping, you're still resting, and, but you're, you're teaching your body that I do not get out of bed until 7 a.m. And you will start to see that your body will start allowing you to sleep longer because of that. Um, yeah, you have to, you have to, if you have to go to the bathroom, get up, go to the bathroom quick, go lay right back down in bed. Your day doesn't start until seven. You don't just start checking your emails like, well, I'm awake. I might as well just get up and start being productive. That's just like this ingrained thing. Hustle, hustle, hustle. You have to be productive. No, you do not get out of bed until seven. So that's like a little trick that you can play with yourself and try to like get yourself to start sleeping longer and staying in bed longer. I had one, um, one uh, like anecdote to this. It reminds me, Sean, when you were talking about the podcast you were listening to, how like, hey, after a week we stop noting the symptoms of sleep deprivation because we're just like, this is our new normal. I remember when Tom and I had just opened this gym and this is prior to the pandemic and Tom and I, we didn't have any other trainers. So we were grinding. We were waking up at four. We, we, our first session started at five. Um, we trained till about noon, go home, like quick workout, shower, eat, try to sneak in a quick nap. And then we were back for um, the PM, so three to seven. And that was every day um, for months on end. And I remember you and I took a long weekend to Boston. It was like the first little vacay that we allowed ourselves after opening. And the hotel room in Boston had blackout curtains. And I, we were in the heart of the city too. It was not quiet, but I remember we had I think we were only there two or three nights. We would wake up at like 10 a.m. And because it was blackout, like the room was black. I remember we were not staying out late, obviously. Like we were probably in bed, probably 10 o'clock at the very latest, earlier more than likely. But I remember thinking, oh, I didn't realize how sleep deprived I had been. Because you, we all know, like, when you get that good night of sleep, you're like, oh, this is what it feels like to be a normal human. And you forget, because you're grinding, and you're hustling all over the place, and you're go, 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 and your adrenaline and your cortisol are through the roof. When you finally get that moment 
of good sleep. And I remember getting good sleep for like two nights or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was so tired. Yeah, we slept half of our vacation away. Yes, <laughs> I remember. And they're like, well, we should have just stayed home like, and slept Boston? for three days. And I was like, it was fine. I got such good rest. Like <laughs> I remember sleeping so well just because you were, we were so tired. Yeah. And, um, but like, I know every single person listening to this, we've all had those parts in our lives where like sleep is just not happening. Whether it's a new kid or whether it's starting a new business or, um, even though we're in a stressful part of our lives, like we've all been there where like we just don't even register how tired we are anymore because we're so far past it. So, um, yeah, as you were talking about that, I just remembered that. And I was just going to add another thing about what Tom had said about the people who are sleeping five hours and say, well, I just can't get any more of it. Um, and again, going back, I had kind of mentioned this earlier, but the people that are getting 2000 steps in and then they're only sleeping for five hours because there are literally like biomechanical sensors in your lower body and throughout your body that are built to sense movement. And if you aren't getting enough movement, your body doesn't register that I'm tired and I need to sleep. Mm -hmm. Your brain still needs to sleep, but your body doesn't register it. So your brain is a zombie, but your body is like, hey, I'm not actually tired. And so, yeah, you are waking up at five in the morning or after five hours of sleep because you aren't tiring out your body. And like, bumping up those steps again it's just all of this flows together and getting more steps will help you sleep better and eating better will help you sleep better give you more energy to move better and will help loosen up the tissues and like it all just flows together yeah, yeah. it's just like i'm just laughing because it's like you could literally you could have just put every chapter and then tied it to sleep yeah. you know like take every vital sign and mix them all together and like everything that's why i so like love this book everything feeds into like sean had said earlier the, the idea of all the ripple effect there all these vital signs will help increase or better every other vital sign it's so cool the body is a amazing amazing organism that we're still learning more about all the time and this th these 10 vital signs that we just covered are the simple tried and true cheap things you're always going to be tried to be sold on cryogenically freezing your fat away or like you know these quick pick you know quick fix pills that's just gimmicky there's someone trying to make a buck off of you just do these 10 vital signs and you're never gonna have to deal with any of that you're not gonna be fed that bs anymore and all these just tie so well together so with that any closing remarks any closing statements on kelly and julie starrett's built to move 10 vital signs uh book Go no. buy it for sure. <laughs> this is a plug for Kelly and Juliet. They, um, I really did enjoy this book. It was a phenomenal, I think if, um, it's just a phenomenal, uh, comprehensive introduction to like just health, general health. I think this book should be part of like high school curriculum. Because mm -hmm. this yeah. is all stuff that we need to be learning, not when we're 45 and dealing with all these issues. We need to be learning this when we're 15, 16. These days, I feel like even earlier, though, mm -hmm. because of seriously, with how much everyone's on computers all the time, it's scary. Like the little kids just glued to tablets. Put this already. on your kids' summer reading guide. Yeah. Like you're <laughs> going to force your kids, kids to read this during their summer break. <laughs> make like a coloring book version of this yeah <laughs> you have to color the little like figurines of the stretches and stuff <laughs> all right there we go guys thank you so much for listening if you guys have any questions you always know where you can find us um, i will go ahead and put a link to the book and the 10 vital signs in the show notes um, thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day 
as always, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate every listen that I get. With that being said, if you have any feedback or any questions you would like answered on future episodes, please use the link in the bio above to submit me a quick little voice message you could do right from your phone. I would love to hear from you. So thank you so much again for listening and have a great rest of your day.